0: Welcome, one and all, to the Veterans Radio Hour. It's our tribute to all of those who served our great nation's armed forces, past and present, and their tremendous accounts of heroic duty and bravery. With your host, Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, coming to you live from our Veterans Center studio, here
1: is General Dave. It is October 20th, 2002, and we are located in the Veterans Radio Center. Veterans and those who love our veterans are in the studio audience tonight. We have Lieutenant Colonel Kathy Pennington, the commander of the Chicagoland Recruiting Battalion. We have Roy, Roy Douglas, President of Vietnam Veterans of America, and many other guests tonight. And the show's, show tonight is focused on veterans' health benefits. And in studio, we have several terrific guests. And also online, we have some great
2: guests tonight. But first, if you'd like to call in with a question or a comment tonight, 866-928-2329. That's a toll-free number. Or go to our website and get on our chat room. Dave.
1: Every show, as you know, we dedicate to a fallen comrade. And tonight's show is dedicated to senior airman Jason Cunningham. A pararescue jumper trained as a medic, United States Air Force, who spent the last hours of his life protecting his wounded comrades from Al-Qaeda fighters as he worked to save the lives of those severely wounded. Senior Airman Cunningham's heroic duty took place in Afghanistan in the ground force's biggest fight known as Operation Anaconda. Cunningham was part of a rescue element made up mostly of rangers, sent in to rescue Navy SEAL Petty Officer Neil Roberts. Two CH-47 Chinook helicopters went in for a long fight against a determined enemy. Jason Cunningham dragged several wounded comrades out of a burning helo to a covered position. He treated them for wounds as well as many others on the team. And though seriously wounded himself, he disregarded his condition until he finally bled to death. He became the 1st pararescue airman to die in combat since the Vietnam War. Here's today's military quote of the
0: day, brought to you with support from retired Lieutenant Colonel Dan Bogievich.
1: Since tonight we're talking about people, veterans, those that make the military work, we'd like to relay to you a quote from George Patton. Wars may be fought with weapons, but they are won by men. It is the spirit of the men who follow and the men who leads that gains a victory.
3: Hooray.
1: Okay, tonight, uh, several of our guests. First of all, online, we're very fortunate to have with us Congressman Ronnie Shaws from Mississippi he is a distinguished leader and fighter for Americans, military retirees and veterans, seniors and children. He is a member of the House Veterans Affairs Committee where he co-sponsored the Disabled Veterans Bill which provides annual cost of living increase, disability compensation, and other service-connected issues. Congressman Shouse is committed to hold the United States government's promise to provide decent health care. His father, a veteran, was captured during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. Also online with us, we have Ron Regan. Known as, as, to many as Old Sarge, a key American veteran who has been a champion of our nation's veterans with his radio talk shows and television. Old Sarge has over 20 years of service with the United States Air Force and Army. He was a radar technician in the United States Air Force and later an Army Drill Sergeant and served in the Ohio National Guard. He served in Okinawa and later in the U.S. defense of then called the Island of Formosa. Old Sarge created the Veterans Cafe radio program in Central Florida and also produces a, as well as hosts, a TV program titled Combat Veterans. He also hosts the Orlando TV broadcast uh, show known as Veterans Forum. Old Sarge is a spokesman for veterans issues of all types. In studio, uh, the first of our two guests, we have Rochelle Crump the Director and Community Liaison for the City of Chicago Advisory Council for Veterans Affairs Commission on Human Relations. Ms. Crump served in the Women Army's Corps. She worked for the United States Department of Veterans Affairs Regional Office for over 23 years. And she was nominated and selected as a Small Business Administration Illinois Veterans Advocate for the year 2001. And also with her tonight in the studio, we have her mom and her sister as well. And our other uh, in-studio guest uh, who flew in from Montana for the show, I really appreciate it, is Art Heffelfinger, healthcare chairman of Montana State Council Vietnam Veterans of America. He's a retired Army major helicopter pilot, served in Vietnam, Panama, and the Persian Gulf. He has a healthcare document, a collaborative effort with over 100 people show examples of medical care crisis a lot of things that we're going to talk about tonight and his health care document is titled caring for the wounded it talks about failures it talks about specific case examples and proposes systematic solutions and recommendations of these problems so tonight what we'd like to do is go ahead and uh... talk about the situation we have right now and i'd like to start off with the congressman congressman uh, Ronnie Shaws from Mississippi, because he has just done some great work on uh, some bills uh, with the with the committee there in Congress to help our veterans. Congressman, are you with us, sir? Yes, sir, I
4: am. It's, it's great to be on your show tonight. We appreciate the opportunity to visit with you.
1: Okay, well, I appreciate you being on with us. Can you uh, cover real quickly uh, some of the initiatives that uh, you're you're bringing yeah. about for change?
4: Well. You know the concurrent receipt, which affects a lot of military retirees out there who served this country, and these great men and women are the only federal employees who retire from their military service or, or or federal government that, if they have a service-connected disability, it, that uh, that is deducted from the amount of retirement that they have, and they're the only federal employees that are done like that. Uh, myself and Gene Taylor, Gene Taylor, Congressman from Mississippi, who's also on arms, who's on the Armed Services Committee, has been fighting for this uh, concurrent receipt fully funding, and not uh, not deduct the uh, the disability away from the retirement service-connected disability. Anyway, to make a long story short, we were successful on the House floor, and the, the House first of all passed the provision that it would be 60% and up would not be deducted. From your, um, from your retirement. But we always felt like it should be 100% all the way from the, from whatever disability you have all the way up to 100% disability. But the House leadership only passed the 60. Then got to the Senate, and the Senate put in the 100%. We got back to the House side and, and was able to amend it on the floor to give 100%. Now we're just, uh, it, it came back from the Senate. I know it's kind of confusing, but it came back from the Senate and they concurred with that, but the House, uh, the House um, Chairman of the Armed Services would not go with it, and in course the President said he would veto the bill. And it's in the uh, it's in the Defense Authorization Bill. So it's right now we're kind of in limbo. We don't know what's going to happen with it, but we're going to fight like crazy to get that where you're not uh, penalized for being service connected from your uh, and, and drawing your full amount of your disability and your full amount of your retirement. The concurrent receipt is an important piece of legislation. It's we feel like, and a bunch of us in the House of Representatives feel like it. Uh, it's one of those broken promises, just like the health care was on, uh, after you served 20 years in the service and they, they, when you hit 65, they um, took you off your uh, Tricare or whatever you're on as far as your health care with the military and put you on Medicare, and we were able to get that changed through Tricare for Life, just like we want to change uh, uh, the concurrent receipt and make it. In other words, not be penalized for being a veteran instead of a federal employee. You ought to receive the full benefits you were promised.
1: Well, you know, the concurrent receipt, uh, we talked about one of our other shows, and, and we thought it was going to go through the House and, and the Senate uh, with full support, and the only challenge was going to be the administration, whether they veto it or not. But the way I understand from your summary is that uh, it may not go through at all now uh, well, the, in the way cha- we want it.
4: Yeah, the chairman, um, I, I don't, you know, I don't think the— the chairman, uh, the chairman wanted to put the president veto in the bill because he said he was going to veto. But I just don't believe he'd veto it vetoed if he if he'd go ahead and and, and Mr. Uh, Duncan, I, I I don't I can't remember the name of the, the chairman, but anyway, uh, he uh, he he backed off of it and just uh, said he's not going to sign the report. And he's the chairman, so it has but. The, most other members, I tell you it had, it had uh, bipartisan support on the House floor and it passed by a large margin. Gene Taylor did an outstanding job and a lot of us worked hard on the House floor to get that amendment passed. And um, you know, it's just, the, it's just the right thing to do. And I, I just, and here's the way I look at this. If we're gonna recruit men and women into our full-time military service and ask them to serve in uh, operations like we're having to do now, and I think we got a better, we got to do a better job in recruiting and offering these incentives on health care, educational issues once they get out, quality of life issues, and, and the issues if you are wounded and you serve your uh, time with your, uh, with your service, you should not be the only federal <laughs> employee that's uh, punished by having your disability deducted from your retirement.
1: And They didn't ask to get wounded.
4: No, they didn't, and you know, and 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 I I tell you, I just don't see what is fair about our men and women who serve this country being the only one penalized in the federal government by doing this, and especially the people who give up the best part of their lives, you might say, to help defend this country, and and I know it gets to me, and it gets to a lot of the members in the House, and I wish the Chairman in the House Armed Services would go ahead and concur with this amendment. And send it on the president. Let's let him veto if he's going to veto it. Then
1: maybe we can get enough votes to override it. I agree. You know, you really uh, set the stage here for the the rest of the discussion. If you could just hold on with us a little bit sure. longer, we'd appreciate. it. I'd like to sure. like to go to Rochelle Crump and get a perspective here from the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois perspective. Uh, one issue that the congressman brought up was concurrent receipt. What is the biggest issue facing uh, veterans um, it, veterans health benefits from your perspective here in Chicago?
5: The perspective that I see now, and firstly, while the congressman is on the line, certainly let me commend him for his great efforts in pushing those bills on the benefit of our veterans. Thank you. Our um, issues here in Chicago are the closing of the VA facility here, the lakeside. Mm -hmm. There has been numerous studies conducted about the health care benefit here and the money that could be generated from closing or leasing out that lakeside facility, all at the expense and care of our veterans, which clearly indicates that money is a greater issue than our veterans' health care. And certainly we oppose it and we will continue, even though we look like we've lost that battle and it looks like the hospital will close, I would currently like to see some joint resolution that would halt any closing of VA hospitals during a a crisis, now that there's one on the table. Mm -hmm.
1: Congressman, can you respond to that?
4: I certainly will, because we have sent a letter to the president, we've sent it to the uh, Secretary of uh, Defense and our veterans uh, secretary, and we certainly oppose closing any veteran hospitals. I mean, the administration is sending out a letter asking to stop advertising the benefits that can be offered to veterans in our hospitals because they're cutting back on money. And and I'm of the same attitude that we're asking these men and women now to serve this country, and it looks like we're fixing to go in Iraq. If it don't, we got Korea to worry about. We don't know what holds for this country and to shut these hospitals down. I compare it to closing our base. You know, there's a, there's a congressional committee set up called BRAC, which I oppose that also because we do not need to be closing these bases. And Gene Tanner, again, myself, tried to offer some amendments in the in the committee, and, and we were beaten down by the committee leadership to, uh, to let BRAC stand its own two feet, and let's debate it and don't put it in the uh, defense uh, appropriations bill. But they keep putting it in there, and it's hard to vote against the defense uh, approach. And, uh, and the same thing, that now they're coming up with a commission to study these VA hospitals and see which ones. And they say there's about 25 to 30% of these VA hospitals can be closed. Well, what happens to those veterans? And here's the problem we have. Even though TRICARE for Life was passed, there's still a lot of veterans not getting the quality care because TRICARE needs to be fully funded. The problem with TRICARE, most of the time, they're very slow to pay. A lot of times they pay less than what other insurance companies are pay. So hospitals and doctors, a lot of them refuse to take tricare. And it needs to that program needs to be implemented, or either give the retiree or the veteran. if it's a right retiree, we need to give them the option to have the same health care that that the congressmen have and federal employees have, and that's the federal health benefit plan. But our other veterans who are not retired, deserve that same health care in those veterans hospitals and you close those Veterans Hospitals down. I know in Mississippi, my dad is 77 years old. And he's a, he, just like you said earlier, he's a World War II veteran. He has to drive two hours. He's 77 years old uh, to get to, we had a, an outpatient clinic in Hasbury but the problem with the outpatient clinics, they thought it would ease the burden on our on our Veterans Hospital in Jackson and across the country in our Veterans Hospital. What they found out is when they made it a little more convenient for these Veterans, they would use these clinics. And now they've stopped taking patients in most of our outpatient clinics. And this is what happens when they don't fully fund the program. The intent may be good, but they need to fully fund the program so these outpatient clinics could take more of these veterans and retirees so they wouldn't have to drive so far. And they should not Two things. They should not be closing down these bases because it costs the taxpayers money every time they do it. And secondly, they better stop shutting down these VA hospitals. I was not aware of the one in Chicago, but I can assure you I would join any resolution to stop it.
1: Well, let me jump in with you there because the I understand it, we have uh, doubled the enrollees mm-hmm. in the Veterans Hospital since 1995. Mm-hmm. I understand that right now we have over 6 million uh, enrollees. And by the year 2006, it'll climb to 8 million. So it's hard for me to understand how you would close any of them down. I would like to move on now mm-hmm. to Art uh, finger and get a Montana perspective, because he's a champion of a lot of these issues right now. Art, your comments on the, on the, what we've been discussing?
6: Well, thank you, General. I don't know about champion. Uh, maybe just as bothered as everyone else is at the table this evening. If I had to sum it all up from the Montana perspective, we feel that uh, while well, the Middle Ages ended. What 500 years ago? Okay, mm-hmm. we're well beyond the days of personal fiefdoms and kingdoms, and we believe that the local population, the local care providers, and the veterans themselves must, in fact, be part of the decision-making process at these facilities, designing these healthcare models, just as Secretary Principi himself so said last year in his guidance's his five-year plan. I guess in Montana, I would have to say we don't see that kind of interaction between local care providers, the veteran population, and the hospital, or in the vision for that matter.
1: Well a veteran that hears a lot of discussion, uh, and I'm hoping he's still with us, old Sarge. Old Sarge, you with us online? How
7: you
1: doing? Are you there? Yes,
7: sir. I'm
1: here. Yeah, uh, if you could speak a little louder, please. Yes, uh, sir, oh, I'm, tr- I'm you,
7: trying to. Yes, yeah,
1: yes. Uh, yeah. You hear a lot of uh, veterans talk about these issues. Uh, what you, what's the, the biggest challenge that uh, you, you have talked to veterans about?
7: Well, you know, on, on the radio program, can I mention my radio program here? Uh, uh, in central Florida, I've been doing it now for three years. And the biggest thing, of course, is the broken promises we've had, uh, concurrent receipt, as the gentlemen have been talking about. But one of the things that is coming up, and that's long-term uh, care, LTC, uh, for those who may have some problems in the future, but Survivor Benefit Plan is another one, and former spouse pension adjustments. And But my biggest thing is to get veterans who are not 20-year veterans or retirees trying to get these folks uh, to get a, a VA ID card so they can get VA medical care. And you'd be surprised there are thousands and far too many as I'm concerned here in Central Florida area. There's, there's too many people, uh, veterans, retirees, their wives, their widow who then become widows, uh, they don't know what is available. They don't know what benefits they're entitled to, and that is a shame. And I don't know where uh, I'm trying my best to make sure they are getting the information that I can give them from what I glean from newspapers and from the internet and so on. Uh, this is this problem, I...
1: Well, well, Sarge, I understand that. Uh, right now, uh, we're trying to catch up with a list of over 300,000 veterans waiting. They've been waiting over six months for health care at, at VA hospitals. Is, right. that, is uh, what? Why? Is that because of the card? What's the
7: reason? Oh, no, no, because here in central Florida, I'm talking. we're we'll talking about Gainesville, which is uh, uh, where the University of Florida exists. There's a big veterans' hospital there. Uh, again, uh, because of uh, BRAC-based relocation, relocation and closings um, in various locales down here, um, there are thousands of guys up there waiting for appointments. And even though I tell them to get the ID card and get in there and get your picture taken and, and have that card in your hand so you can go in for a medical review and then of course uh, it, when they get in you they can get some very inexpensive prescriptions and so on. Well, that's the benefits. Well, I, I also find out here in Leesburg, Florida, where I live, uh, is there is a clinic here that I went to the ignore I was invited to the inaugural opening. And the, the chief medical officer in the area said, oh, you know, this is going to be open for 1,500 veterans. Well, they had to stop again here. You can't get in there because they got over 4,500 on the books right now.
1: Well, let me ask you this. We only we have less than a minute before yeah. break. Let me ask you this. Is there a priority list for veterans to qualify for care? Are there what, sir? A priority list. Is that what's uh, a lot of the people are not on a priority list? A lot of the veterans, is there a priority list oh, not, issue? Not
7: that I'm aware of. Priority uh, is the first come, first
1: serve. Well, Art, Art, do you know?
6: Well, that's that's not quite true. And a matter of fact, there's some um, effort underway to to amend this whole issue of priorities. Uh, let's talk about this at length perhaps after the break because it is a, okay. a very germane yeah. Right. question.
1: Yeah. If you can if you can uh, hold on with yes. us, uh, Sarge, and the rest, uh, we really would appreciate it. we got to go to break right now.
2: And welcome. This is our seventh program here on the Veterans Radio Hour. We thank you all for listening and being a part of it uh, like uh, the American Legion Post 57, Elgin, Illinois. You can send your emails at veteransradiohour.com or leave a message at our toll-free business number nine one-0020. On our website, you can go live now with us on a chat room, thanks to GIM Productions in Naperville. Veterans Radio Hour is made possible through the generous support of individual founders and members. Additional funding for tonight's program has come from the Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer Company. In order to continue bringing these historic shows on the Talk Radio Network, we need your support. We need your ideas. That's veteransradiohour.com. Plug into us. Let us know you're involved. We also would like to let you know that next week's promo is a good one. We have next week the Department of Veterans Affairs. It's gonna tie into today, and that's with Under Secretary Dr. Robert Roswell and Dr. Joan Cummings.
0: hour continues to salute our nation's armed forces and their families when the veterans hour continues on the TRM talk radio network the veterans hour now returns to full readiness on the TRM talk radio network the veterans hour proudly presents our military hero's story of valor
1: Tonight we're going to talk about Private First Class Joseph Alette from Laos, Massachusetts. He served the 9th Infantry Regiment, 2nd Infantry Division, Yangsan, Korea. His death occurred on 3 September 1950. His story goes as such. When an enemy assault cut off and surrounded his unit, Private First Class Alette voluntarily made a recon of a nearby hill to locate and coordinate With the friendly U.S. elements constantly under intense fire as he did so. He left his unit's perimeter again to recover a critical resupply airdrop bundle. When his unit's ammunition ran low, he again left the perimeter to collect ammunition and grenades from the enemy dead and dying. During this movement, he was attacked by an enemy soldier and he killed him in hand-to-hand combat. During the enemy's last assault, he moved out of his foxhole six times to fight Severely wounded, he eventually died of his wounds. Private First Class Olette was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. My dad, my son, and myself had the honor to spend a day on fire base Ouellette in the, the military zone of Korea. The show tonight would like to salute an active duty service member from the United States Marine Corps, Corporal Joshua Bryce of Winters, Texas. He is concluding a 60-day tour of duty in support of enduring freedom in the Philippines. He is an infantryman assigned to the Marine Security Element detached from the 3rd Marine Regiment Headquarters in Hawaii. Corporal Bryce's security element is responsible for the protection of the United States Naval Construction Task Group consisting of Navy Seabees and Marine Engineers who are completing various heavy construction projects on the island of Mindanao, uh, uh, island of Mindanao in uh, the Philippines, he says, "I am proud to be deployed in Operation Enduring Freedom. It's a great opportunity to help local people and experience a different culture." Who are to you and your unit, Corporal Bryce, from the Veterans Radio Center?
2: The Active Service Person of the Week was brought to you by Peps Blue Ribbon Beer. As they say, PBR me ASAP, General Dave. Well, now I'd like to go back to the guests, but first of all, I see on the line that we have
1: a uh, Colonel Joe Robinson. By the way, he's a, he's an old friend. He's an armor officer. He was a tank battalion commander in Germany, uh, a great commander, I know, because uh, I was in that same organization. And uh, he was, he's medically being retired with 100% disability. Good evening, Joe. How are you?
8: Hi. Uh, was everybody? Great show.
1: Everybody's doing fine. Uh, you 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 were calling in. Can uh, I understand? You just went through a process that we're talking about tonight. You saw a lot of other soldiers on your left and right, right flank that did the same thing. Any comments?
8: Uh, I have several. Um, uh, first of all, uh, what your guests have been saying tonight is is right on for everything that I've seen. Uh, I really represent the the far end of the spectrum, the severely disabled veteran. I have uh, chronic progressive multiple sclerosis and my walking days are long gone, amongst other things. But the really good news is is thanks to some of the people that are uh, on your panel and in our country, if you get through all the criteria, the benefits at the end of the tunnel are wonderful. They're just tremendous. But as old Sarge said, a lot of guys don't know this. So whereas I may have the ability to figure that out or talk about it, or fight for it, a lot of guys on my left and right just don't know about it. And uh, it kind of takes me back to a couple years ago when, uh, if you remember, General Shinseki started a uh, study of the Army's readiness system and said, why are we doing this and how are we doing this? In fact, you got involved in that, um, as did I. And I think we've kind of missed the point on a lot of this disability stuff uh, and why we have the system we have. As you know, soldiers only do what they do in combat because they know you're coming back for them, or that they're going to be taken care of. The veteran's the same way. What we want is not only to take care of the veteran, we want to make sure that this guy says to his friends and relatives that I got taken care of. And if we're being chintzy about it, he's going to give a different message. I think we
1: missed that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. It's all about people. And I want to go to another call, and uh, Mike Seacrest from uh, uh, Helena, Montana. Go ahead, Mike. Uh,
3: good evening. And listening to your program, I'm really impressed with what you've got going on. Um, and the concurrent receipt is a big issue. I want to go along with what uh, Sarge was saying. Recently I've been involved in some outreach with World War II and Korean War veterans, and I'm running into a lot of them out there that have no idea that they – have VA help available um, the problems that we run into of course is that they're in outlying areas and you have the two to three hour drive to get them in for services <laughs> another part of the problem is getting them through the claims process and this is a, a very daunting area to go through um, the tunnel as it was heard by the colonel and there's times that it's just totally disheartening and many people walk away from it, rather than continue on with that process. And my concerns are that there is programs being pulled from the area, such as the Veterans Outreach. Um, The Vet Center program has been moved from our local area saying that the VA hospital can take care of it, when in reality, they don't have the facilities or the people to do it. And I'm hoping that uh, through this type of program that we'll be able to get funding going to be able to keep these programs up-to-date and, and to reach those that need the help.
1: Well, uh, that's why shows like uh, what old Sarge does and, and how he reaches out to a lot of American veterans. What we're trying to do here and, and the others uh, in the studio tonight hopefully will make a difference. Communication's is key, uh, either through veterans uh, publications or the media or whatever. It's key to get the word out because otherwise you have someone that's frustrated and that veteran just chew hoys and says the heck with it and, and moves out and uh, that's not right. Uh, this is about people, people of the force uh, in America and uh, something has to be done about it. I want to get back to the other question about uh, priority, priority list. I'm going to go to Art here in the studio. As you know, Art Heffelfinger uh, wrote a, a great publication about uh, veterans' uh, problems and, and how to fix them, retired Army helicopter pilot, he's healthcare chairman of Montana. Go ahead, Art.
6: Well, again, uh, the whole issue of priorities, it is not a, a first-come, first-served basis, nor should it necessarily be, mind you. We have to look at what the actual medical needs are of the question in person. I don't think any anybody would advocate uh, giving uh, someone with hay fever a higher priority than a cardiac patient. Well, the issue right now before us is that because of the system being so overtaxed, as I understand it, Secretary Principi wishes to give priority to those individuals who are 50% disabled or greater and they, in turn, get first priority for their medical condition. The question arises, what medical condition? What if, from a medical point of view, the condition of that particular veteran, who is 50% disabled, if that medical condition is not as chronic or severe as someone who, say, is 40% disabled? Should we, therefore, pass on the 40% disabled who has a severe cardiac condition? to treat a less severe condition because a man is now 50% disabled? There has to be some medical triage here. I know, having had a recent conversation with Dr. Batliner, who is the Visit 19 director in Denver, that this issue is of concern to him as well. We've got to think about what we're doing, and I've got a couple of anecdotes about that, but I'd like, uh, actually, Mr. Seacrees, who's a veteran service officer in Montana, I know him well, uh, has some expertise in that as, as well. But Mike, uh, I'm sure, can look at a number of his case histories and find that the priority which has been given to a particular individual does not necessarily suit the medical circumstance. That's the problem.
1: Okay, I'm gonna go to, uh, thanks, Art. I wanna go back to uh, Rochelle Crump, uh, Director of Community Liaison here in the city of Chicago, the the Veterans uh, Affairs Commission. Uh, Problems in in the hospitals in this local area. Uh, on priorities, on service. Uh, what, what, what's your view? What's the, what's, what do we have to tag, take on here?
5: Right now there are long waiting lists for service. There are long appointment dates in between seeing the physician, And if we're closing hospitals, we're going to see more of that. So that could certainly be a setback in the VA.
1: Yeah, uh, there's people right here in our studio tonight that uh, experience what you're talking about. And uh, I want to now go uh, uh, to a concern from someone from Yorktown uh, and the federal employees, uh, for federal employees to get disability, why not veterans? Federal employees get disability, why not veterans? I think the congressman brought this up early. Uh, Congressman Shouse, can you answer that email about if other uh, federal employees get disability, why not veterans?
4: Well, it just you know that's that's the unfairness or the, I kind of call it kind of like a broken promise on uh, for health care benefits for military retirees it, it it just seems to me that why would uh, we couldn't offer the uh, the, the benefits for health care for veterans as they do for uh, federal employees it just doesn't seem like it's uh, appropriate not to but it seems to be again everything is based on money and and kind and I don't know what the administration is trying to prove because the point is that uh, they have sent out a letter and I think I mentioned this while ago also is that uh, they will they're sending out a letter telling them the Veterans Hospital not to advertise uh, services any more of the services than they have to because of the, uh, the, the cost it incurs when new veterans come in and haven't used the system before so actually they're trying to um, make it harder for veterans who are not aware of these services uh, to be notified about them and to know what what advantages they do have as a veterans in the veterans hospital so you know i, I again it, it just doesn't seem like it's the right way to treat our veterans and, and our military personnel and retirees out there it seems to be every time i go to a rotary club and I talked about our Broken Promise Bill. That when we introduced, I introduced that bill, the Broken Promise Bill. It was called the Shaws Norwood Bill in 1998, the, the first year we got elected and, and started serving. And within within three months, we had like over 200 200 co-sponsors on the bill. Within within six months, we had over 300 and something co-sponsors on that on that bill. Very bipartisan bill and we still not, could not get the leadership to take up that bill. But every time I would talk to a, every time I talked to a Rotary Club or a Lions Club group, I would start talking about the injustices of health cares for our veteran veterans and our military personnel out there, and retirees, in the average okay, I got
1: to, I got to, I got to come back to you, Congressman. <laughs> I apologize, That's and okay. we'll get back to that because uh, it's 21.4 billion dollars of cost this year. Mm-hmm. We're going to go right now to the McDonald's Veteran of the Week. As you know, they really support this program, and so uh, they and they they support the veterans, and they support the veterans that work for McDonald's. And tonight we're going to talk about Juan Mendez. He's a McDonald's owner and operator of three restaurants in Chicago. Illinois. Juan served in the Army in 1969 and 1970 and was stationed in Panama. His military service runs in his family. His father served in World War II, his uncle served in Korea, and his nephew served in Operation Desert Storm. Juan said, I quote, serving in the military gave me a chance to mature. The military does not babysit people. I was very fortunate to have mentors in the Army when I served. One was Master Sergeant William Gregg. He was an Army lifer who believed in the idea of being a professional and reaching the highest level of perfection in everything a person does. Values come from your family and wanting to do something right. Serving in the military emphasizes this and accelerates person, a person's growth. The Army is like a business community. If you if you are good at what you do, you will be successful.
0: Hi, uh, she'll have a Happy Meal and I'll have the Big Mac.
3: Dad, when will I be old enough for a Big Mac?
0: When you're in college.
3: College.
0: Now, when you register specially marked McDonald's gift certificates at youpromise.com, a portion of the value goes into a YouPromise account for a child's education. So, the more specially marked gift certificates you buy, the more you'll save for college.
3: I want to be a doctor.
0: Hello, gift certificates. Sign up for free and get the details at youpromise.com.
7: We love to see you smile.
0: You're listening to the Veterans Hour on the Talk, 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 talk Radio Network. Weigh Anchor Mates, the Veterans Radio Hour now continues full speed ahead on the talk radio network. Aye, aye, sir.
1: Each show we talk about what's happened years ago in the military related to today's date. Today, October 20th of 1950, the 187th Airborne jumped, 187th Airborne jumped behind enemy lines in Sookchan, Suchan area of Korea to seal off escape routes of the North Koreans escaping to the north. The American paratroopers succeeded in demoralizing the North Korean troops to the point where they began surrendering en masse. My dad happened to be on that jump. Today, in 1962, President Kennedy told the American people that there was a Soviet buildup in Cuba and that he ordered a naval and air quarantine on shipments of offensive weapons and military equipment to the island during this very tense time, an agreement between the United States of America and the Soviet Union was reached, avoiding war. Now I'd like to go back to our to our guests, uh, both uh, on the telephone with us and also in studio, and ask them to, to spend about 45 seconds to make a salient point, a recommendation about the subject tonight and what could be done about it. And I'd like to start off first going back to Rochelle Crump from uh, Chicago, Illinois. Rochelle?
5: I would certainly like to see the VA reconsider the decision to close the VA hospital. Taking into consideration that various medical research studies are ongoing uh, with the different wars and new disabilities are created and added to the list, such as with Agent Orange, Um, the different cancers, now the hepatitis C, now the diabetes, and just ongoing disabilities. I'd like to see the VA just take that into consideration, knowing that closing the hospitals is like taking the benefit away from those who will need those services along the way. And instead of closing the hospital, why not make it a VA extended care facility? There are very few of them in Chicago. They're all downstate in Anna. And um, LaSalle and Man- um, Mantino, Quincy, nothing in Chicago for the elderly here. And that's what I would like to see the VA do. Although we welcome the expansion at the VA West Side with the new parking facility, then we would certainly like to see them reconsider our needs here in Chicago.
1: Okay, thank you. I'd like to now go then back to Arthur Heff- Heffelfinger from uh, Montana.
6: We have to spend, I think, less attention on the precise, literal interpretation of the bureaucratic regulations and more attention on the people. Several months ago in Montana, a veteran suffering from chronic pain took his own life. He called the local civilian hospital, said, send an ambulance, I don't want my wife to find the body. Before the police could respond, he in fact went out in the backyard and shot himself. His wife came home, found the police, and the ambulance crew and her husband lying in the backyard. Two weeks later, she filed with the VA for a claim for the cost of the ambulance removing the body. That claim was denied. Why? She had failed to obtain prior approval. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, there's a VA regulation which says before you can pay for any outsourced medical services, you have to obtain prior approval. How long should the body have been required to lay there? The first snow, the first freeze? Come on.
1: Tough example. Okay, I'm going to go back uh, to Texas to Colonel Joe Robinson, uh tanker uh, who's just been uh, going on retirement from a, with 100% disability. Joe, uh, a summary, a comment for the audience?
8: It, it's not about money. Uh, the, uh, the bills that are before Congress now, well, the $5 billion one's tough, but it's not about money. You, we need to rethink this entire issue. Uh, it's a long-term thing about recruiting. The cost of recruiting and the future of the
1: nation. Okay, that's right. It's it is about people. It's uh, I mean it's, it takes some money, but it's about people. You're going to send people into harm's way. You got to take care of them when they get back. I'd like to go now back to uh, Ron Reagan, uh, old Sarge down in Florida. Old Sarge.
7: I'm still here.
1: Okay, okay sir. Okay.
7: Listen, one of the I'd like to agree uh, a comment here with, uh, of course, co- Congressman Shaws and uh, and uh, Arthur Heffelfinger and, and Joe and all. But I want to mention the fact that, you know, my perspective here at this level, uh, the fact that many of these uh, veterans, when you go visit them and talk to them, and I know these fellows have gone out in outreach programs and talked to various veterans groups, but I find there's a lot of number, the, number of those folks just don't want to listen uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, there are a lot of other people besides us who are talking tonight because, you know, it, uh, I'm sure that... Some of you know about this military retirees grassroots group. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that oh, or yeah. not. Yeah, we have. Okay. I know Mr. Shows has. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know we, we've heard of the American Legion and the others. Uh, but AMER, American Military Retirees Association, and all these other places, you know, the DAV and the TROA and the Retired Enlisted Association, they're all trying to get these fellows to uh, understand what the problem is, that, you know, there are benefits out here. And if they'd only come forth, and unfortunately, we hit that dead end. They have this barrier saying, okay, you know, we're too full. We don't have enough of this. We don't have enough of that. The hospitals are overcrowded, and, the, and we can't get any more people to function through the uh, uh, clinics. And so, you know, no matter what we do out there, we're helping, we're helping somebody. I know I am. And thank God, too, we have a lot of veteran service officers in every county in the United States. And they certainly help everyone.
1: Well, too. thank. Well, and hey, O Sarge, thank you. You do an awful lot. And and I'm going to go now to okay. Congressman Ronnie Shaws. He's the point man. He's taking the fight to Congress. <laughs> He's going to make it happen, sir. You have the closing remarks. We have less than a minute.
4: Well, what I'd like to ask the reason the broken promise and we got Tricare for Life is no, it's not perfect. We've got a ways to go. The reason that passed was the grassroots movement of the military retirees. Now, just think triple the amount of people when you take your veterans along with your reservists and your National Guard and your, and your full-time military personnel and your retirees and all these folks, and, and, and imagine what kind of grassroots movement you could have to move the legislation that we're talking about now. I can tell you I was watching C-SPAN when our bill was on there. We couldn't get them to take it up, and it was a congressman known from Oklahoma. I won't say his name, but he wasn't on our bill. And then when C-SPAN was asking for calls to come in, there was like three military tire's calling this guy, why aren't you on the Shadows-Norwood bill? Why aren't you in the Shallows norwood bill? He says, when I get back to Oklahoma, I'll be on the shallows norwood bill, and he did get on it. So what I'm saying to the people out there listening to us, you have the vote. Make use of it. Get together and work with your associations. move these issues that we talked about
1: tonight all right well thank you sir and uh, great closing remarks we really appreciate it well
4: thank you and God bless
2: you all and get involved move it on like the congressman said make it happen veterans radio hour
0: hour now returns to full readiness
1: okay in the first hour uh, we really ran out of time we uh, had a a very important subject about veterans health benefits Uh, some of our in-house guests there's much more I wanted them to say and so what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna get that right now we're gonna spend a few minutes and 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 talk to them we're honored to have them with us and we want to take advantage of their expertise their experience and it's it's an important issue and uh, and so I want to go back to to art uh... helpful from uh... uh... montana who's uh, key in uh... veterans affairs and there's a few things that he wanted to say and, and, he, and he, one of them he brought up to me right after the show had to do with command
6: well it's like command responsibility he said and I, i'd like him to explain that to the audience go ahead art well we drew an analogy i think from our military days um, the individual commander the unit commander where the rubber hits the road that's where the responsibility lies and I think that's true within the context of the VA as well. Uh, Secretary Principi uh, is a man for whom I have great respect, a Vietnam veteran himself, his wife his wife is a Vietnam veteran, uh, two sons who are Air Force pilots uh, Secretary McKay, Secretary Principi's immediate deputy I've talked to personally on a number of occasions, emails. These people have the concerns of veterans at heart, but the bottom line is that unless the individual hospital administrators, unless the individual visit administrators reach out to the constituency that they purport to serve, unless they are open-handed in their dealings with local and state legislatures and with the veteran populations themselves, we're never going to get to that point that Secretary Secretary Principi has mandated. And that mandate is to make the local veterans and the local legislatures part of the decision-making process. That was precisely his quote in his directive to his employees last year, part of the decision-making process. And until those individual administrators and hospital directors understand that, until they act upon it, we're going to continue to encounter these sorts of problems.
1: You know, Rochelle Crump here from uh, in Chicago, uh, works for the mayor on Veterans Affairs, Um, She has a lot of experience in this. What's your feeling, what Arthur just said, uh, Rochelle, on uh, responsibility and accountability?
5: It's very disturbing to me because what he says is, is probably true, and then that actually points to the accountability of the person in charge here in Chicago. And if our medical benefits are being stripped away simply because the administrators are not acting on our behalf, then that's very disturbing. There are numerous issues and, and I'm grateful to get this opportunity to say that just last week or a couple of weeks ago, the Humana Healthcare um, provider indicated that 10,000 seniors will lose their HMO benefits because of the rising costs and the slow and non-payments from the federal Medicare program. Well, now that's ten thousand here in the Cook County and and Kane area. What is the VA going to do in order to act and and be there for those veterans? The accountability from the VA it's it's not good at this point, and it's very disturbing to me.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in, in the military, it's all about accountability, responsibility, and responsibility, and no one has enough resources. You never have enough training, money. You never have enough equipment that you want. There's a timeline. I'm not saying that's right, but it's just a fact of life. So, if, you know, if it's cost $21.4 billion this year for veterans' health care, uh, it's a good bit of money. But, you know, uh, you get what you pay for. I mean, are we shortchanging the program? You know, Joe Robinson was on earlier and said it's not about money, but doesn't funding affect it?
6: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, without question. We're at, what, the uh, $57 billion level right now, I think, in our annual budget for VA. Uh, this year we'd like to see another $3 billion into that uh, at a minimum. And I don't speak, of course, for our, our national president of Vietnam, Veterans of America, Tom Corey, but he's articulated that as well. It is about money, but it's also about the efficient use of the resources we have, and it's about integrating the veteran and the legislatures into that decision-making process I keep harping about. Rochelle?
5: What price tags do we put on the lives that were lost in the different wars? What price tags do we put on the lives of those who lost limbs? There's no cost that could ever replace those things. So to say that it's about dollar and cents, it's just disturbing.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, you're right. It's, it's 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 again, it's about people, and uh, you can't put a price on that type of thing. I'm going to go back to our uh, executive producer, Kenny Kenny well, Kenny,
2: I, I just have a question now. As a veteran myself, I know one veteran, good friend of mine, has never been to the VA, has never had to deal with the VA, has all his own medical benefits. He has enough money to take care of. Aren't there a lot of veterans like that who aren't even using the VA? which disturbs me to understand that if there's so many of them that were given this opportunity that aren't even taking advantage of it, why are we seemingly so much in a stranglehold that there isn't enough for the few or, or those millions that are, and there's got to be more than just my friend who doesn't have anything to do with it?
6: Oh, well, I, th- I think that's true. I also think that there are a number of veterans out there who perhaps don't have the resources that your friend does, but who wouldn't go near the VA hospital with a ten-foot pole. Uh, And there are some reasons for that. That's not only the VA's fault uh, as well. I think one of our earlier guests made the point that uh, the veterans themselves have to be more proactive and, and have to make some effort on their part. That's true. Bottom line from that aspect, Kenny, I think it is dollars. I think we do have to have a lot more revenue into the system.
5: There are veterans who are totally turned off from the government system, period. A lot of veterans who have been denied Uh, benefits for their claims, they are turned off. A lot of those are Vietnam veterans. You have veterans also who just don't trust the VA because they give and they take, and they take at the most critical time when those benefits are needed.
1: You know, uh, in in Arthur Heffelfinger's uh, Caring for the Wounded um, document, one of the, he brings up five points. I'm going to ask a question on one of the points. Uh,
6: it's in a crisis, he says, and that's eroding quality care? Yes. yes. Explain it. Well, again, that's a, a function, I think, of the facilities being overloaded and also of a VA facility not really understanding what the needs of the local population are that it purports to serve. Uh, We are very strong advocates of, firstly, a local needs analysis. What are the needs of that particular geographic population? And secondly, what are the resources available to meet those needs? How tough can it be? We're not talking about a space shuttle launch here, folks. What are the needs of the population you serve, and what are the resources to meet it? We have seen historically, (laughs) as incredible as it sounds, a, a simple lack of responsiveness and cooperation to determine those two things. What are the needs and what are the local resources? We would like to see that partnership expanded to include the veterans, local care providers, and the state legislature, and certainly that's true in Montana.
1: Well, you know, I think Rochelle has a comment on that. With Chicago, the size of this community and Chicagoland and number of veterans here. Your
6: comments on what Art just said?
5: Well, firstly, let me just say that many veterans are still in the workforce, so they don't need those benefits right now but as they retire and merge into a different health care plan with rising costs of medication and the uh, cost of the insurance plan, they may rely on the VA at that time. The VA won't be there. The demographics here in Chicago uh, with the three studies that they conducted here, those studies were flawed because there's no real actual number or way of counting veterans here in Illinois, and I don't see it being done in any state as well. A lot of people want to rely on the census, and I say that with the census, a certain percentage of people don't receive the long form. If they get the short form, that does not ask you if you're a veteran. So we lose count there. We never count our homeless veterans. We say that one-third of them are homeless, but there's no actual documents to say how many veterans here. So the projections have all been flawed. We just don't know.
1: Yeah, and it's not that they don't deserve it. They just may not want it, or they don't know about it, or we don't know about
6: them. General, if I could interrupt and throw in a couple of examples sure, about please. the kind of cynicism that can set in and why. Uh, an individual makes an appointment at uh, any VA hospital, let's say VA Fort Harrison, and that appointment is for January 15th. January 14th rolls around, and he gets a uh, note in the mail saying your appointment now is going to be March. March rolls around. The appointment uh, is now put forward to June. After you get three or four notes in the mail like that, you begin to wonder whether or not you should show up at all. Are we surprised at all? Should we be surprised if in fact the veteran becomes cynical about that process? I have at home in my office somewhere buried in my desk a note like that cancelling an appointment. I believe the date was uh, March 14th. The only problem is the postmark on that letter is March 15th. So they mail the cancellation one day after the appointment was scheduled and the veteran in the meantime of course shows up at the hospital and wonders what in the world has happened. I mean, that's what I was trying to say earlier in my own fumbling way about bringing some rationale to what we're doing. Let's think about what we're doing, not simply go with the literal interpretation of the bureaucracy. We've got to think.
1: Well you know uh uh, that's right. Actually, in the, in the earlier part of the show, Art, I understood what you said. It was uh, you articulated very nicely in defense of yourself there. Uh, I want to go back to another point you highlight, though, intimidation. And I want to go to Rochelle for this. Her comments, intimidation and retaliation against those pursuing grievances. Aha. Uh-huh. What's your? What do you think? He highlights that as one of his five major points.
5: Well, we know that the VA does it, right? I think we can all agree on that whether or not <laughs> it's not right no one should be intimidated or punished because they come forth with valid complaints but it happens and it's wrong
6: yeah it happens though right art boy should we take another hour and a half on this program Joe no, but how about a one-minute example <laughs> all right if for instance you um, uh, oh you're running a homeless program at a particular VA hospital and you become uh, very proactive in asserting what you think the veterans need and you go in the next morning and find that your job has been changed you're now the receptionist at the front desk now that's a bit of an exaggeration but you know what not much and I think there's a pattern perhaps not only at Fort Harrison but around uh, some visions at some hospitals around the country where that's true there's a position called a patient's advocate at Veterans Hospitals. The patient advocate, just as the name implies, is someone who's supposed to advocate for veterans. If claims aren't being processed correctly, if there are some problems, the advocate is the person who's supposed to go to the hospital administration, stand in his desk, in terms that you and I might use, draw his sword and go to war. But who appoints the patient's advocate? The administration. What's wrong with this picture?
2: <laughs> is it usually the best friend of the administrator?
6: <laughs> As a matter of fact, it can be. Now, I, I want to say something here because I had a conversation, at least by email, with uh, Director uh, Secretary McKay about this very point. I am not in this instance speaking necessarily about the current patient advocate at Fort Harrison. I have met that gentleman on one occasion. I've heard some good things about him. My point is that systemically there is a conflict of interest in the system where the very person who's supposed to advocate most forcefully for the veteran against the administration if need be where that very person himself is appointed by the administration there is an inherent conflict of interest and i put it to you that that patient advocate should be appointed or should be selected from an authority higher than the hospital itself perhaps even with some input from the veteran community itself
2: well we've heard that uh, these Uh, The secretary, the undersecretary, and his doctor under him, and uh, some of the other departments of this current Department of Veterans Affairs are supposedly the best that we've had in years, and that these are some people that are trying to make a change from what both of you know in this. Is this true? I'll defer to the lady. Excuse me.
5: (laughs) Well, the advocates here in Chicago, I have to say that they do a good job in advocating um, for the benefit of the veteran. However, they're under restraints. They're limited to what they can say and what they can do. And you know that when you go to a stakeholder's meeting and when you leave the meeting, they come and they thank you and they tell you, um, we're glad you're here. We're glad you said that. So. We know there are certain things that they cannot say and, you know, it's up to us to really get that out for them.
1: Okay. Uh, Final question for our our fine panel, and it has to do, since we're all taxpayers, uh, the, the one point on, and this is an Art's document, cost shifting to other agencies at the taxpayer's expense. I'd like to have Art explain that, what he meant, and then I'd like to have Rochelle comment.
6: If we have a situation where an individual is taken to the hospital and he is turned away and told to go to a local care provider and this individual has no means to pay that local care provider, he then falls into the local or state welfare system in some capacity or another. Other agencies funded by state and local taxes then pick up that burden. On the other hand, you and I in the meantime are paying our federal taxes. We wind up, don't we? paying three times over for the same veterans care. We pay federal taxes for that veteran, we pay state taxes, we pay local taxes. We shouldn't have to do that. The Veterans Administration, the Veterans Hospital in question, should live up to that responsibility, pay for that care. If they can't provide for that care themselves, fine, refer them to a local care provider, but pay for it. That's the bottom line. Rochelle?
5: I really haven't seen any disturbing cases like that here in Chicago. Only a few, but they were resolved, so I can't say anything negative about it. I think the VA has, here in Chicago, done what they could in order to make sure that the veteran did not get the short end of that.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to thank our panelists uh, here on the show and, and studio guests. Uh, I learned a lot tonight. I hope everybody else did. Uh, I'd like to just give a few closing remarks. Um, You know, several of our guests, Rochelle Crump, Old Sarge, and the others said it's all about people. It's about people, it's about veterans, those who fought our nation's wars that experienced pain, sorrow, happiness, life, and death. And the next time you hear the tunes of that bugler called taps, and it puts a lump in your throat, and creates tears in your eyes. You need to think about our veterans, what we're talking about tonight on veterans' health benefits, on POWs, MIA's, on honor our veterans, honor monuments to our dead. All the things that have to do about veterans, America's veterans, and why uh, this show does what it does. Thank you very much, and good night.
0: This show was inspired by the stories of three World War II veterans. My father, Ralph L. Hack from the CBI Theater, Robert Porky Sabarbro, 3rd Cavalry Division, Philip L. Leonard, 2nd Marine Division. These stories are things that we all need to remember as Americans. Hats off to you all. I'm Lance W. Hack. For the Veterans Radio Hour, good night and keep listening.